on this episode of Starting Point. So I need to do better, like, when it comes to myself, you know, like, when opportunities arise, it's just a second guess myself, like, okay, do I have what it takes, you know, even though I have proven, you know, time and time again that I do have what it takes. So um, I need to be better and do better in regards to believing in myself. So um, that's something I'm working on. I mean, especially being here um, as an executive director, it's like, okay, yeah, like, you, you didn't get here for no reason. That's Nikki McGinnis talking about the importance of believing in yourself as a key to being successful in annual giving and educational fundraising. I'm Dan Allenby. Welcome to Starting Point. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the program. I am so pleased to have with us today Nikki McGinnis, Executive Director of Annual Giving Programs at the University of Rochester. Nikki, it's great to have you with us today. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Now, you've just made a a big move in your career. Yes. (laughs) So I'm currently at the University of Rochester, um, coming from Towson University in Baltimore, Maryland. So yes, it was a huge relocation, um, but the time was right. Everything lined up. So just did it. So I'm happy to be here two weeks later. So... (laughs) Well, we want to. We kind of want to get to that and hear a little more about your role right now. But if you could take us back to your starting point, right? So let's go back some years. You don't have to give us a number, but before you got into the field of educational advancement, who was Nikki McGinnis? What was she doing? You know, where was she? Um, and then we'll take it from there. Um, Nikki McGinnis is a graduate of the University of Pittsburgh main campus. I actually started off as a phonathon student caller. Um, and so my supervisor at the time, um, who was currently my mentor, um, he used to work at University of Rochester as well. So, okay. so he's been serving as my mentor for the last 22 years. So yeah, I started off as a phone caller. Um, because of my mentor, I was able to see the ins and outs of annual giving, um, how it's very foundational and the impact that it has on institution, but were very like at the ground level. So that was pretty much the coolest part for me was just to see how myself as a student caller, how I was making an impact by, you know, asking people and engaging people philanthropically. So that's how it all I have to ask because because I love it when whenever I hear that someone started in advancement as a student caller. How did you end up as a student caller? I was a proctor originally for the surveys where at the end of the semester, you go in and you do a survey on your current professor and things like that. And when I did the presentation for the survey, one of the students who was a student caller at the time, and she was taking the survey on uh, um, from her professor, she was the one who recommended, hey, you know, you should try being a student caller, <laughs> a student fundraiser. And I'm like, a student fundraiser? You mean ask people for money? And she's like, Yeah, but you also get to talk to alumni and see their experience as well. Just like you're asking us about our experience with this professor. And I was just like, you know what? I can try that. (laughs) And so I applied and like literally never looked back, like always stayed in annual giving, like literally from phone call student caller till today. It's not easy being a a phone-a-thon caller. Um, How long were you in that role? I was a student caller from 2002 till I graduated in 2005. So three I, years. 
Yeah. And then I became the call center coordinator yeah. right out of college. <laughs> and rolled right into it. Yeah, rolled right on into it. So, and like I said, thanks to my mentor, um, even as there was times where he had me act as a supervisor, student supervisor, he also provided me with tips and tricks to help keep not just the alumni engaged when we're talking to them, but to also keep the student callers engaged too. Um, and to keep the student callers knowing that they have, they're making an impact. They are part of university advancement. You know, granted, we were student callers working the night shift and, you know, major gift officers left the office at five o'clock. You know, it was, you know, I worked with my mentor and he helped me bridge that opportunity or create that opportunity where we would have major gift officers come and speak to the students. We would have deans come and speak to the students. We would have the VP or the AVP of university advancement come and, just to let them know that, hey, you know, as students, we are a part of this whole division. So it's been, and I've taken that even as a supervisor myself now, and I oversee call centers. You know, I make sure that, you know, my students are able to meet and interact with the deans of the different colleges and interact with the different major gift officers and feel a part of university advancement. Now, it's reminding me back when I first got my start, it was was several years before, before you got your start, as you just described, but I had an opportunity, pretty much fresh out of college, to take a job, an entry-level position at American University in Washington, D.C. I, I, think, I think they were really just uh, desperate, to be quite honest with you. But they said, we've got a position for a direct mail manager as, or coordinator or a phone thon coordinator. And they offered me either one that I wanted. I got to choose. And you know, it, it took me a couple of nights of sort of overthinking it. And I decided to go with a phone thon because I just thought that was going to, one, it would be more interesting interacting with people, but it was going to teach me these fundamental skills of management, you know, starting with being able to lead people who are smarter than you <laughs> and no more. People. I actually had four supervisors that really knew how to run the program. I had no idea how to run a phone thon program and kind of listening to them and being able to uh, learn from them, you know, that, that has stuck with me for a long time. Now you've, you've, already mentioned mentor a couple times. Do you mind telling us a little bit more about who that was exactly? What their role was and what, nope. Even you can share their name if you want, or you can just call them mentor. A. Well, I don't think he'll be mad, but um, his name was Daryl Bell. Um, and yes, uh, he was my uh, supervisor at the University of Pittsburgh. He's been mentoring me and I've been following his career throughout advancement. So he sh- what did he do? Like what you say, supervisor, what was his actual role? So you were a student caller. He yes. was- and he was a call center supervisor. Ah, okay. Yes. So and student though. Yes. Well, he was, he was not a student. No, I he was an employee. He was yes. like running the program. Mm-hmm. And then he's the one who provided me my opportunity um, in regards to management. Like I believe in you, you know, and he, uh, you know, he gave me tips and tricks in regards to how to effectively manage a call center, you know, and information that he uses himself. He also showed, showed me how to like report information. So therefore when I would run reports, I'd be able to explain it to him the next shift. Yeah. Um, so that way we pass the baton. And so for me, that helps me build, you know, one, build my confidence in call center um, and two, build my confidence in managing a call center as young as, you know, a current, I was like a senior at the time when he was equipping me and he just kept saying, I believe in you, I believe in you. And we would sit down and talk to each other about goals. I remember highlighting specified pledges and (laughs) unspecified pledges and showing them to him and, you know, showing him contact rates and like we'd high five each other. And then we just talk about ways to continue to boost morale in the call center. 
And I have this one student, she was my student caller at the time, but she's grown woman, you know, graduated, married kids. But um, every job that she applies for, she always uses me as, <laughs> as a recommendation. And she, it just started off in the call center, you know, like she's like, you were an awesome boss. And my sister applied for a call center position at a whole different institution in Philadelphia. And the call center manager there, I was her boss at Pittsburgh. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, she saw the last name. She's like, your sister, she used to work in the call center. At Pitt. Yeah. <laughs> my sister's like, yeah, my sister did go to Pitt. <laughs> and sure enough, yeah, I was like, yeah, I know her. You know, I hired her when I was a coordinator. And yeah, so it's just seeing everything full circle. It's been it's been a wonderful and experience and that's so honored. Like it's gratifying. So yeah. So it sounds like no, it was Daryl. Was that his name? Yes. As your first mentor. It sounds like he just really cared that he was like taking time to like, you know, get to know the person, which I think is is hard for managers. And not all are, are really able to do that. Bonathon programs have changed so much. Do you think that still exists? I mean, I, you know, I think sometimes people get this idea of a phonathon program where the callers are just sitting there and nobody answers the phone. So, I mean, it must morale must be lower than ever in call centers. But I don't know. Is that do you do you think that's the case? And and you know, is this still a place where good mentoring can happen? You know, in a, is the call center still a place to prepare future leaders in annual giving and other aspects of advancement? What do you think? As a former student caller, right, I am biased, right? But I will always vouch for our call center. When it comes to like donor acquisition, it's able to help us get new donors and cover a bigger base than the actual development officers. But I feel that mentorship is very important um, in regard to the call center and boosting morale because keep in mind, you know, being being in the call center, you have to have thick skin, you know, especially when you're asking for people, asking people for money or donations, you don't know their experience with the institution. You're just going in blinds, you know, like, so you, you, the, the students have to build, you know, a tough skin and on top of doing their schoolwork and exams and things like that. So for me, thanks to my mentor um, throughout my career, if I have a call center, I always make sure that my students know that they can come to me or talk to me. Like, I've been there, you know, I've done that, you know, I get it, you know, but I'm still here in annual fund because this is how I make my impact. And I share with my students the impact that they're having. They might not see it, but I show show them like, you know, all of these small gifts equal this big gift that helps us as an institution to do such and such. Um, and like my mentor, Daryl, like I make sure that my student callers meet with other officers in the university advancement so that therefore they know that they're a part of the team. Um, and then if I do have students who express interest in advancement, specifically annual giving, but anywhere with advancement, I try to make sure that I partner them with someone who is in that realm. So therefore they get that type of mentorship that they need. And always try to give my student callers a chance, like in terms of like being the supervisor and not just being the supervisor, but also doing other roles and responsibilities outside the call center. But that falls under annual giving. So that way they get the taste of a little bit of everything outside. the You know, life's not always about the call center. Like when you graduate and things like that, there are other aspects to annual giving. So that's how I try to, I mean, I like to call it, that's how I like to pay it forward. I do have a couple of students that I do still currently mentor. Even at my prior institutions, I still talk to them. Yeah. One of them still strongly wants to get into advancement. And so we're currently working on that. So yeah, it's 
I'm just looking forward to paying because I mean, I love annual giving. I'm biased, but university advancement, like so much has changed. There's so much things that we have revamped and we continue to do over to ensure success for the institution and our students, faculty, and staff. So, yeah. <laughs> I love it. So, I love it. So, so Phonathon was your starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, where did, walk me through sort of where, where it went from there. And, and you know, uh, after you, so you were a student caller and a supervisor, and then you uh, took on the actual program management role. It was your, your first job. Where'd you go from there? So I was a coordinator at, um, it's called, it was called Pitt Telefund. I was their coordinator and it was just more of, okay, I have my degree. Um, what else can I do in regards to continuing to have an impact on philanthropy? Because I can no longer be part of the call center because I've graduated. So I was just like, let me go to, let me, I don't know why, but I was just like, the nation's capital, you know, like you just think of high powered, then you think philanthropy and you think you can really make a big impact in the nation's capital. So I took a chance and I applied at the George Washington University Law School. Yep. A huge chance, but my supervisor there, she really believed in me, especially after like interviewing with each other face to face. And sharing my story with her regarding the call center. Who was that? Do you mind if I ask? <laughs> her name was Kara Linehan Esh. I will never forget. Yeah. And <laughs> so, what was her job? <laughs> she was the um, director of the annual fund at the law okay. school. So yeah. she was just saying, your personality, you work well with people. We can see it. You know, you've been successful in your call center programs. So it's just pretty much the same thing, but just on a bigger scale. And we're focusing with lawyers in the nation's capital. So I was just like, okay, I can do it. So she's like, come on down to D.C. And I went on down. So from down. Pittsburgh to Washington, D.C., yes. from a phonathon to a law school. Law Dealing school. with lawyers in Washington, D.C., I can't imagine. If you can do that, you can do anything, right? Uh, yes, right? So I added more in regards to, you know, my roles and responsibilities. Um, I added, you know, overseeing volunteer, managing the volunteers. I became on working on leadership annual giving, um, stewardship, things like that. So I just really started to expand and broaden my horizons and learn a lot more. So yeah, even meeting with various lawyers and having and this, I'm, I'm going to date myself, but you know, I'd be meeting with them face to face, and they're on their blackberries <laughs> while they're talking to me. Do you want to explain to our audience what a blackberry is? No. I'm <laughs> I may be Nikki. Honestly, I may I may have been the last BlackBerry holder that there was. I held on to mine for dear life until until it was ripped out of my cold hands, and then the iPhone was forced into it. And good lord, 2012, somewhere in there. I tried. Yeah. Right. 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 So I mean, so you went from so you're running a call center, then you go to a law school. You're doing a little of everything. It sounds like yes. Right. Yep. Mailings, direct mail, all of that. I took and how long were you there? I was there four years, four years. And then? And then (laughs) stayed in the nation's capital and went to American University. (laughs) Um, So I went from a decentralized advancement shop to a centralized advancement shop. Same private institution, but it was good to get to know and experience the difference between centralized and decentralized and how things operate. The Um, big difference. Yes. 
was talking to somebody and, and talking about the difference between managing an annual fund in a central shop versus a decentral shop. And we were joking that in a, in a central shop, you really need to be an engineer. And in a decentralized shop, you need to be a politician. Yes, that's, that's a good way to put it. Now, you were at American University. I can remember when you went there. Now, was Al Cecchio there at the time or had he or Dave Carrera? Had they, had they moved on? I think they moved on. So you're running the annual giving program? Um, at American, I was the associate director. Um, my boss at the time, Casey Jacobs, she's still there too. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes, she's still there. So I worked closely with her. Um, I served as her leadership annual giving person. Yep. For me, I was focused on, one, working with her for the Leadership Giving Society to shift from $1,000 to $2,500. Yep. And so shifting that society um, and also working with current donors in regards to moving them along um, the pipeline. Um, mm-hmm. And Casey and I have shared some wonderful successes. So and that's, that's another experience I got under my belt carrying from GW Law School to American University was leadership and giving and moving everybody up the pipeline, going from a thousand dollar entry level to yeah. starting at twenty five hundred. Raising um, sites as that's what that's the term yes, like. Raising exactly, sites. Ex- exactly. Exactly. So yeah, just and work with her in regards to the faculty staff giving campaign. Oh yes. So that was something that her and I really worked hard to like build out and by the time of, of my departure, the campaign was doing very well. It's, it was doing the best that it had done in, in a very long time. So th- that's, and I spent about six years at American University. That's a good run. Most yes. people spend about 18 months in an annual giving position and then they move on. So those, that's some good tenure. And yep. then from there to thousand. Yeah, House University. So going from private institutions, you know, like oh. WNAU to state school, my first, you know, big adult woman position That's- in a state institution. And in this position, you know, I was the director of the annual campaign. So yeah. overseeing a team and then just helping the institution and university advancement align itself for the public launch of their comprehensive campaign. It was a lot, It was, but it was some great stuff. I've learned a lot working at Towson University as well. Um, what would you say, you mentioned public versus private. What would you say the biggest difference is between working at a public university? <laughs> so to be honest, right? We could take this out if you say the wrong thing. Okay. <laughs> to be honest, there's a lot of hurdles. Red tape? Yes. And, and to be honest, in both sectors, private or public, but I feel like public is a little longer. It's it's a, the process is slower. It takes they're a more longer. thorough. Um, <laughs> You're trying not to do that. that sense. I feel like private more thorough, but that's just my opinion. But public is just more. There's a lot of stop and go because of state laws or whatever. I don't well, you've got you got tax more taxpayer money is going into the system, so you probably have a lot of accountability is a little different. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and so sometimes not as much freedom or resources as you would think for a state. Yeah. Do you definitely see the difference? Was it a different experience working at a state institution compared to a private institution? Yeah. I remember my fa- my father worked in development and he he always worked at public institutions. Okay. And I remember him pointing that out very early on, that there's a stark difference between working in private. A lot of my experience in private institutions. And I guess in, unless you work in both, you probably don't really appreciate the difference. But 
Yeah, we got centralized, decentralized, public, private, big, small, some in all shapes and sizes. And it's all annual giving at the end of the day, right? Yeah. So you did. So you, you, this was your first job running a program. You were the director. This is during a campaign. Um, Towson was in the silent phase. They just went public 20, yeah, last year, 2021. And then you were there, and then just recently you've taken this new position. And uh, maybe you want to tell tell us where you are right now, and um, sort of <laughs> what what you've just taken on, and what your new challenge is. Sure. So I am currently the new direct executive director um, for annual giving programs at the University of Rochester. I have a team of fifteen. Where I'm more of the direct response um, part. So we have the George Eastman Circle, which is our leadership annual giving society, and that's another entity under. Um, annual giving programs, but I am the one who oversees in terms of um, class and affinity, um, direct mail, digital philanthropy, academics, phonathon, all of that good stuff. So you for call me, those like very participation focused programs. Yes. So that would you say your number one metric is increasing participation yes. rates? Yes, Dan. Yes. <laughs> It is. And I just had a meeting with one of my team members um, right before this, and we were just going over undergraduate participation goal for FY23, right? <laughs> so, what is it? Yeah. You have, are, you, are, you, are you at liberty to say what your participation goal is, or is that still under wraps? It's still under wraps. I shouldn't, it should be finalized by the end of the month, but I've already told my team, like, what this is what we're going to aim for. <laughs> so, well, you, know, say, it, it, you achieve what you measure. So, yeah knowing what the goal is and keeping everybody focused on mm-hmm. it. I, I worry often when we talk to programs that are not performing at the level that they want to. And, and when we ask them what their goals are, mm-hmm. they start to list all these different goals. And, and then we ask if what the number one, you know, we say, what's more important donors or dollars. And then I always find it problematic when we get the answer both. Oh. Well, of course I understand that it's both, but you know, I think within programs, it's really important to know what the priorities are. Yes. Um, and I know when I, I spent a number of years working at Boston University, and one of the things I always appreciated there is it was, we were in a campaign, but the priority was increasing alumni participation. And mm-hmm. from the president on down, it was very clear how high of a priority that was. But when that gets watered down, when you give an annual giving program director like too many goals, or you can't clarify which goal is more important than the other, it makes it really hard for them to do their job. Yes. Yes. And that's one thing I appreciate about here. Like before, it's not even been 30 days <laughs> of me being here. And I already know number one thing <laughs> undergraduate alumni participation. I already know what the percentage that they're looking for. My yeah. team already knows about it. We're going to, we talk about it in every meeting. You know, we talk about strategies that we're going to yeah. implement. You know, um, so I'm glad that I'm in this position because. I'm no longer like a frontline fundraiser. I'm no longer the writer. I'm no longer the design person or marketing person. I am the person who looks at all of the different programs and strategies that we're currently implementing and figuring out and using data analytics to figure out what is working for us. And since it's working for us, you know, how do we continue doing it and implementing it and how do we enhance it? And then what is not working for us and why it's not working for us and to work with the team to come up with other strategies that we can put in place of what's not working for us and that we can report that up to the leadership. You're that's, a strategist. Yes. And that's, that's what I love because I, I, I spent a lot of my time in annual giving doing the actual work. So I know what works. I'm not, 
the you know end all be all. I'm not the you know high go to person, but I know what works, what doesn't work. I have seen what works, what doesn't work. Um, so to come to a place where not only I, where I can learn because this is a pretty big institution, but I can also share what I've learned and share what I know. So I'm with a great team where we bounce each, we bounce ideas off each other. We all know that no one's better than another person. You know, I might have the ED title, but I'm no better. You know what I mean? Like I, I just because I might have more years or experience, I'm still here to learn. So yeah. you, you as a team member, you oversee um, medicine. Medicine has been doing well. So let's talk about how we can continue this. You know, um, what would you like to implement? How do I help you? How do I get the resources you need? for you to do what you want to do and to take it to the next level as we're preparing to go into a campaign. Great. Well, in the spirit of learning and sharing, um, if you'd be willing to share, um, would love to hear as you look back on your career so far, and you you certainly have a lot in front of you. I'll, I'll ask two questions at once, and then I'll let you answer them in whichever order you prefer. What are you most proud of? You look back, you know, from from where you are right now, having just taken this really major role running a major annual giving program at a major university and with a big challenge of increasing alumni participation in an environment where that's not easy. You know, most institutions are seeing declines. Yes. Um, you kind of look back to the days when you were a phonathon caller. What are you most proud of? And then secondly, you know, was there a time that you felt like maybe you came up short? Um, I'll, I'll use the term, was there a failure and not, not to say that too strongly, but is there something that you look back and you say, yep, I made a mistake or there was a failure there. Then hopefully you learn from it. So biggest, what are you most proud of? And was there, was there a time when you, you learned a lesson from something that you feel like looking back, you didn't do right? Okay. I am most proud of, I believe the impact that I've made Mm -hmm. um, at the various institutions I've been. I set goals for myself and for my team, um, and we've done, wherever I go, we've done a pretty good job at different institutions. We've had record-breaking years, things like that. So, you know, Results. Yes. I'm, and, I'm, and like on my resume, I'm a results-driven person. <laughs> so I have been very successful for that and just more of being persistent in this industry too, you know, like... So, I mean, like I said before, I've stayed with annual giving my whole career, you know, yeah. um, annual giving is sometimes seen as the stepchild, you know, um, <laughs> so, but it's just. Plan to stay in annual giving for the rest of your career? For right now, I think so. Yeah. Um, because also like annual giving has been expanding over the years, you know, it's right. been becoming more of a staple in diff- in institutions and People are starting to see and understand the work that goes into it, especially as us being the foundation people. So I feel like there's a lot of opportunity in the annual giving world. I think it got more important during the pandemic, to be quite honest with you, because in part of that might have been institutions were freaking out about cash. They were like, oh, my gosh, you know, uh, (laughs) nobody's at least for the next couple of years going to want to be making big transformational gifts, although I don't think that's entirely true. But we we saw plenty of transformational gifts during the pandemic. But I think they realized, wow, we just we're going to need a steady stream of 
of operating money. And um, that's the annual fund that a lot of institutions. Yes. And you hit the nail on the head, Dan, because for me, like as annual giving, unrestricted funds have always been mine, you know, (laughs) it's been my baby. So yes, you know, for the last couple of years, like there has been an uptick in terms of unrestricted gifts, you know? And so now it's like annual giving starting to get noticed. So that's, for me, it's my success is one, um, being persistent and two, always making sure that I and my team have some type of impact um, as an annual giving team. My failure. Yeah, if you could have a do-over. Okay, it's two-part. So if I could have a do-over, I would maybe be higher than where I am. Mm -hmm. Um, There have been periods of time in my career where I have second-guessed myself, even doubted myself, to be honest despite reports showing that the, the program's doing well, despite reports that the team's doing well, it was just more me. It's just, I don't know if I believed in myself enough. Tina, that are you saying that you should have you should have just believed in yourself more? Yes. Yeah. Which I'm not I don't know. You, you talk about the, you talk about how long you were at some of these institutions, Nikki. I mean, I I admire that. There's a lot of people that, and I you think you, you think maybe you could have just moved quicker along in your career than than you did. But that might not that might that might turn out to be a good thing. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. When I look at resumes now, and I see that people have popped around every couple of years. Even if they were moving up, so to speak, within organizations, I don't always view that as a positive. And I know a lot of vice presidents out there that feel the same way. I mean, there's something about people that just sort of keep their head down and do their job. We have, we have a football team up here in, in Boston called the New England Patriots. I don't know if you've ever heard of them before. <laughs> we have a coach that people either love or hate, but uh-huh. he's renowned for for his saying, do your job, you know, that people just, and people probably don't do that enough. They probably spend so much time sort of thinking about their next career move That's that they true. don't just focus and do their job. But, That's but you true. think you could have had more confidence in yourself. Yeah. I wish I had more confidence. And, and like, as before, I mean, I, the work proves it, you know, like I have, a, I'm not saying I'm perfect or whatever, but I have a great track record. Um, you know, sometimes when I read my resume myself, I like, I'm impressed, but it's like, okay, I should be doing more. Or, you know, yeah. interviewing here at the University of Rochester, um, my current boss, when she saw my resume, she's like, well, I also know you do this. You've done this, this, and this. Why isn't it on your resume? And I'm like, I feel like it's bragging. She's like, no. And I'm just like, this is where I'm second guessing myself. Yeah. You know? yeah. Well, you've talked, you've already talked a lot. You've used the word mentor many times. You've talked about the importance of coaching your team, even in the last, half hour here you've talked about your team a lot i just wonder if that's such an important part of being an effective leader in annual giving or any aspect is making sure that your team and the people who work on your team have the confidence that they need to be successful i know what you're saying i mean sometimes that's the biggest challenge of all is people get in their own heads yes. and they don't feel confident yes. and in helping people 
believe in themselves. Yes. I think that can't be, that can't be uh, overstated. Yes. Right. And it's crazy. Cause like for someone who struggles personally, I am like on my team members, I'm like their biggest cheerleaders, their biggest advocate, you know what I mean? Like their biggest sounding, like I'm there, you know, like, I mean, even now I can't tell my team enough, like if there's any resources you need for me to help you do your job, you know, better, or, you know, like um, anything for me to alleviate the work so that for you can do other things and, you know, um, work, do work on your projects better. Like I'm here, you know, like that's yeah. just how I am for others. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> to be my coach and cheerleader for myself. So this, but, this is a good time to ask you my favorite question of the interview. What does success mean to you? Is that a title? Is that a salary? Is that, what is it? Like what, in your mind, what does it mean to be successful? So success for me is making an impact, knowing that you're making an impact and building strong and lasting relationships, both Mm -hmm. with internal stakeholders and external stakeholders, right? So when I say internal stakeholders, it means like colleagues, um, faculty, staff, students, external alumni, you know, like I still talk to some of my alums from other institutions. Like I've been invited to weddings. <laughs> so for me, that's like having that relationship, that trust, you know, like, um, and they, and they still give to their institutions, you know, and some people are like, I still give because of you. I remember our conversation, you know, like yeah. and that's fine. You know, that's why you want to give as long as you're supporting your institution, you know, you're helping other students. Um, so for me, that's what success is. Like I can pretty much any of the institutions that I've been through, um, been to, I have alumni who I still keep in touch with. I had an alum from Towson, like reach out to me like two weeks ago. Um, asking me for, yeah, asking me for like, hey, when you were here, we did this together and we ran this. How do you think we should do it moving forward? And I'm just like, okay, you know, like, okay, you know, like, so um, I. So that's great. Me- so you measure success in the, the number and the quality of the relationships that you've, that you've built and maintained. That's great. That's great. All right. One more question. Sure. So. To anybody who's new and starting out in the field, what advice do you want to offer to those out there that are listening who might just be getting started or maybe if they're trying to become more successful? Um, what is Nikki McGinnis's one bit of advice to those people? My one bit of advice is to get a mentor or a buddy. For me, having a mentor and buddies has really worked in regards to um, my buddies helped me in regards to benchmarking. <laughs> We um, chat back and forth about what different institu- our different institutions are doing and yeah. um, what's working, what's not working. But then for me, my mentor has been my saving grace for when I feel not at my strongest, I guess, um, or things get hard. My mentor who's actually in the field, you know, <laughs> has probably been there, done that. <laughs> and so that's what helps. You know, he's what helps talk me off the ledge, like, yeah. you know, um, or, you know, how like, you get the stress for calendar year end numbers or fiscal year end numbers, you know, having a person to talk to, to say, you know, like you're 98% towards your goal. You're fine. <laughs> you know, like 98 is fine. You know, I'm like, oh, I just need three more lumps, just three more, just three more, you know? Um, but yeah, those are the two things I would suggest is to get a mentor or have a buddy system. Yeah, but that's 
we actually at AGM, we just did um, a, a recent survey and I was really shocked at this data point, which is that 41% of those who work in annual giving say they don't have a mentor, but they wish they did. Mm. So, and you know, of the remaining 59%, that was a combination of people that said, yes, I, I have a mentor. I could actually tell you, you know, their name. Um, or it was also people that said, I don't have a mentor, but I don't think I need one. Mm -hmm. I'm good. So I think your your advice is excellent. And it really gets at the heart of what we hope annual giving network provides. You know, we, you know, we do offer sort of formal access. We've got a mentoring program. So to you know, any individuals out there that feel like they need a mentor, we we do offer that. And uh, if people want to learn more about that, they can, you know, contact us. Um, but we also, I think, offer that just sort of through our programming and our network and the opportunity through our workshops to, you know, meet and have conversations with others or, you know, through our webinars where, you know, we offer a lot of um, opportunities before and after the event for discussion and networking. That's the essence of what AGN is. You know, we're trying to kind of build this community, this network of buddies, you know, within the industry that you can, um, you know, benchmark and and learn from and share and develop relationships that I yeah. think are going to not only make you better uh, and successful, as you say, but are probably going to make it more fulfilling too. And to be honest, like one of my buddies too, um, she was my moderator when I did the webinar. Oh. <laughs> your web, your webinar uh, host, yeah. Yes, Christy. So, and she's been like a cheerleader of mine too. <laughs> and that's how we met was through AGM. Chris, Christy Moss. Yes. 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 Yeah. She's one of our yeah, one of our best faculty. She's terrific. She is. She's a sweetheart. AGN actually gave me my confidence. Do you see what I'm saying? Like. 2018, like I'd started having more confidence, especially um, after the webinar presentation, you know, like, and the coaching I received from Christy. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, Nikki, um, thank you so much for sharing your story and all this great advice and uh, congratulations <laughs> on your new role. We know you're going to be uh, doing great things for the University of Rochester and uh, we're looking forward to staying connected. Yes, definitely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. To learn more about our membership program and everything AGN has to offer, visit our website at annualgivingnetwork.com. 